As most of you know, we have been in the book of Mark now for ever since the beginning of the year, back in January. And one of the reasons that I chose Mark and that I believe the Lord led us to, to teach from Mark is because Mark was writing to the Romans, not to the Gentiles all over where, wherever it might be. Who's a Gentile? Those that's not Jews usually are labeled Gentiles. So Mark was writing to the Gentile mind. And uh, we find that Mark's recipients were certainly not familiar with Jewish customs, Jewish styles and terms. And so he didn't mention the Jewish customs, barely mentioned them. So he had to change his, his method and means of teaching because he had to reach a different set of minds. And the reason I mention this is because when I began pastoring 46 years ago and we preached, we could, we could use cliches, biblical terms, theological terms, but that's changed tremendously. And we as a church, we as the church, we have to be mindful of that. We must be mindful of that. And understand what, what Mark did, we must do that. If we're going to reach our culture today, we must understand how to reach our culture today. Mark understood. Now, Mark's writing was about mainly the Son of God. That's, that's the theme of his book. As most of you know, and we've been talking about this now for a good while, Mark was the first book that was written, and he followed Peter a lot. He was, he was around Peter a lot. Uh, he was not a disciple of, the, of one of the 12 disciples. And so much of the information that he got, he got directly from eyewitnesses of what Jesus did and what Jesus taught. I want to win our culture. I want to win the unsaved. And we at one time lived in a Christian America, but no longer. No longer. So when we leave this church on Sunday and when we live through the week and we encounter people, we must understand if we want them to understand us, we've got to teach, talk, witness the way that they will understand. Now, the message doesn't change. No, but the method changes. And that's the reason that we look at Mark the way we do and the way I have in the past several months is, is to understand that the way Mark taught. Mark is a gospel of realism. Mark is a gospel of action. 
Mark is the gospel of humanity. In other words, it, 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 it talks a lot. He talked a lot and wrote about Jesus' humanity. Not only that, but his emotion. Even in today's study, which you'll find in St. Mark chapter 3, verses 1 through 7, even in today's few verses of Scripture that we use as our text, Jesus became angry. Jesus was an emotional type person. Now, they didn't rule him. His emotions did not rule him. But Jesus knew how to have compassion. He knew how to weep. Jesus felt. Jesus became tired. And he was weary. And so Mark is a, is a gospel about emotion. I kind of like that because I'm an emotional person. I've always said if our house was on fire, I'd run out screaming like this, and Carol would walk out and say, you know, Don, the house is on fire. <laughs> when our kids were growing up, they would get choked or something, and, and I would, oh, my God, what are we going to do? And Carol says, mm, just, just calm down, we'll, we'll handle it. But Jesus was an emotional person. Again, they didn't control him. Mark's gospel was a gospel of eyewitnesses. And when you, when you read the book of Mark, and I hope you'll read the book of Mark. When you read the book of Mark, you'll see that he wrote much about people that were there. They experienced a relationship with Jesus Christ. Someone said a man with an experience is never at the mercy of a man with an argument. And that is so true. These people saw and knew what Jesus did. Now, with all of that in mind, let me read. And uh, I want you to turn your Bibles. By the way, if you do not have, if you do not have uh, an outline of the sermon, please lift your hand and Brother Steve will make sure you get one. I want everyone to have an outline. I, I would just encourage you, this is such a good study and we learn several lessons from this study. Read with me. And he entered again into the synagogue and there was a man there which had a withered hand. Now, the NIV says a hand that was shrunk, a shrunken hand. A, no, no, I'm sorry. A shriveled hand. A withered hand. And they watched him, they being the religious leaders, being the Pharisees, being the Sadducees of that day. And they watched him whether he would heal him on the Sabbath day that they might praise him. Oh, I'm, I'm using this. Oh, I, I still uh, accuse him. Somebody's Facebooking you. They shouldn't Facebook Carol and I during my sermon. This is her. Let's not lose it. And that they watched him that they might accuse him. Notice what it says. And he saith unto the man which had the withered hand, stand forth. If you had the red edition, there's only a few places in these seven verses where it's, where it's read. That's one of them. The Amplified, if you were reading from the Amplified, it says stand up and then stand forth. Three commands. Stand up, stand forth, 
Notice what it said. And he saith unto them, Is it lawful to do good on the Sabbath days or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they held their peace. And when he had looked around about on, the, on them with what? Anger. Being grieved. There he is. His emotion being grieved for the hardness of their hearts. He said unto the man, Stretch forth thine hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored whole as the other. And the Pharisees went out and straightway took counsel with the Herodians, which they were enemies. But they could come together against Jesus Christ. Uh, took with the Herodians against him, how they might destroy him. But Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him and from Judea. There were three types, and I won't go into them, but this is one of them, were with people where Jesus withdrew himself from them. That said, he withdrew himself from them. Notice, if you will, the outline as we look at it. The story contained in these verses is also recorded by Matthew and Luke. Each supplies additional details not given by the others. So when you take all three gospel accounts together, you get the complete picture of what was said and certainly on that day what happened. This is a story that contains some powerfully important lessons for you and certainly me. First of all, the man's condition. A withered right hand. Now, I didn't say that in Mark, but in Luke, Luke was a physician. And in his writing, he said it was his right hand that was withered. The term withered means dried up. Now, we aren't told whether this happened as a birth defect. But historians say that it was an accident. Something happened to this man's hand that caused it to be ineffective. A condition that he was powerless to remedy. And we meet those every day. Number three, from time to time, we all face problems that we are incapable of solving. Problems that leave us feeling helpless and vulnerable. Whether it's a physical need or whether it's a a, a relationship that we at one time had but has gone south and sour and that relationship is damaged. Whether it's a wife, whether it's a husband, children, family, friend, or whatever it may have been. We have these times that we certainly struggle. We notice that there are people that are believers that struggle with moral deficiencies and certainly moral weaknesses. Doesn't matter what your weakness, doesn't matter what your affliction might be. You may be sitting here. In fact, I believe all of us at times, we have a withered hand. If you don't believe it, watch the offering plate pass by and you'll, you'll see it become very withered. 
whatever your shortcoming is, or whatever you struggle with, we all struggle with that shriveled hand. Notice, second of all, the religious leaders that were there. Uh, religious leaders that are established, and, and they don't want to give up their power and their control, and these did not. The scribes and Pharisees, I love these statements, read them with me. They did not come to worship, they came to watch. And you can decide whether you're a Pharisee or, or a scribe today, which was religious leaders that were, many of them were against Jesus Christ. If you came to watch rather than worship, that's what Matt and the Cong- and the praise team and all of us encourage us, as, uh, us to do, and that's the worship, not just watch. Now, I believe in watching. Jesus watched. He says, watch and pray. But we're not to watch to be critical and we're to, pray, to worship God. They did not come to commune with the Lord. They came to do what? Confront the Lord. They did not come to find fruit, but they came to do what? Find fault. Now, I'm sure there's no one in this church like that, that finds fault or criticizes or second guesses the pastor or second guesses the leadership or second guesses the church. And I'm being facetious, but listen, these were religious people. It's one thing to be religious. It's something else to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. There are a lot of religious people, but it's interesting and important to have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Many of the people, the, the, the people that are at the rehab where Neil is, is I tell them often, and I say this almost every day when I talk to them. By the way, that woman that got saved when you and when you two were there, she's still smiling and rejoicing in the Lord. Hallelujah. But I tell them often, they talk about church and denomination. I said, it's not necessarily the church or the denomination. It's having a relationship with Jesus Christ. Amen. Jesus became angry as he looked at certainly these religious leaders They had rather control than see this man healed. In fact, there are a lot of religious people. They aren't concerned about seeing God move. They aren't concerned about the manifestation of the Spirit of God. They just want the mechanism, just the happenings of the church to go the way that they want to. Notice as he speaks to the man with the withered hand. Notice Christ's command. You know, he didn't, he didn't get, he focused on this man. He didn't focus on them, although he looked around and he became angry because of their attitude and because they were there to trap him. They were there to trick him. They were there to find fault with him. He focused on the person that was in need. There are people here in need. Every Sunday we come, especially as leaders and Christians, we ought to be concerned about those people who are in need. More about than what the style of the music is, more about than what the style of the preaching is, more about the way the building looks. We need to care for the hurting and those that are lost. And that's what Jesus was. He focused on this man that needed healing and certainly needed Deliverance. First of all, he says, stand forth. 
And I don't know about you, but sometimes I would, I mean, I think that sometimes those that have, that's, that's like, like he was, that was uh, not able to reach his hand out. Maybe it was shriveled up, and it was because the Bible says it was. Maybe it didn't look too inviting. And so to stand forth in front of everyone would be embarrassing. In fact, most of us don't want to stand in front of anyone when we are all right and when everything's okay. We got a nice suit on or whatever. But he was commanded, first of all, by Jesus Christ to stand up. Now, if you have a need, and all of us have needs this morning, if you have a need this morning, God may challenge you and say, first of all, stand up. I remember when I first started preaching, it was nothing to end the service by asking people, do you have a need? Or do you want to be saved? Raise your hand. And many times people would raise their hands, especially if they wanted to be saved. And then we would ask them, secondly, to stand to their feet. And they would. And then we, thirdly, we would say, would you come to the altar and kneel in the altar? And they would. And then we would gather around them and we would pray for them. And guess what? They got saved. They got saved. But I stopped that a long time ago. Preachers have stopped that a long time. Because if you ask somebody, do they want to be saved, they raise their hand. Nobody raises their hand. And if I say come forth, nobody wants to go up there by themselves. Well, I'm not going to be first. Or I'm not going to be exposed. Or I'm not going to move out of my place of, of comfort. But sometimes God challenges us, folks. Sometimes like the woman last week, she pushed and pried her way through, pushed her way through the crowd and she wanted healing. And if you want something from God, sometimes you have to put forth a very special effort. Stand forth. Take a stand. This man had to make, he had to make a decision. I believe this morning that God will meet every need here, but we must first of all say we have a need. We wonder how Reinhard Bunke can raise the dead and heal. There are many healed overseas because they have needs. In America, we don't have any needs that much spiritually. We just, we just. But I believe if we say, Lord, I have a need. I want you to move in my life. This man had to make a decision, recognize that he had a need. Second of all, taking the stand was not easy. I'm here to tell you, we do not want, as Americans anymore, to be vulnerable. We want to be able to say, I'm able to handle it myself. Anything, you know, I'm able to do it. But he showed himself vulnerable, and he took a stand. He wanted this man to identify with him. Are we willing to identify with Jesus Christ? He wanted this man to recognize his weakness. Lord, I'm lost. I want to be saved. Lord, I, I know I need healing, and I'm going to step forward. 
And many times, whether it's around the altar or in our pews, many times we have needs and we know we have needs, but we simply fail to recognize by a show of hand, by standing forth, by doing something extra that we have a need. Not only did he say stand forth, he said stretch forth. Stand forth, stretch forth. Now, this is something that's impossible. I like it when God deals with our impossibilities. The doctor, first time I met him, Neil's doctor, came in this week. And he was absolutely amazed at this young man's, at Neil's progress. And he let us know it. He was surprised. Because God is a God of the impossible. God will heal when everything else has failed. God will make a way where there seemeth to be no way. Amen? We used to say that a lot, but it's still true today. God will make a way. Once you take your stand, expect God to start to stretch you and stretch you and stretch you. He will. And I thank God that he, he, he wants obedience. He wants us to stretch forth. The Lord may ask you to do something you think is impossible. Lord, I can't do that. And I got a feeling we have some young people here, whether it's in high school, middle school, college, I believe that there are young people that's part of this church. They're being trained. They're being taught. And I believe we have young people in this church that God is going to ask them to do something that's impossible. And you may say, what is it? Well, he may ask you to, to, to testify for him amongst people that you at one time would not have done that. Be strong. Stand up for the Lord. I'm not talking about being brass. I'm not talking about embarrassing yourself and God Almighty. I'm talking about taking a stand for Jesus Christ. But I can't. Why? Because this arm has been this way for years and I can't stretch it forward. You know, it's, you're embarrassing me to ask me to do something I can't do. God will challenge you. Listen to this. When you stretch forth your hand, you are stepping out in obedient faith. God wants us to step out in faith. In God's commandments, I love this, and if you don't remember anything else, look at D under Roman numeral number three. In God's commandments are God's enablements. God is not going to ask us to do something that he is not going to enable us to do. It may be give an offering. It may be go somewhere and witness for Jesus Christ. It may be fasting for two or three days. Lord, I can't fast. God may challenge us in this day and hour in order to reach out to those people out there for us to do something that we will have the power of God in our lives. In God's commandments are God's enablements. Now, God didn't say, listen, I want you to go show yourself to the priest and you'll be healed. He didn't tell him that. He didn't tell him, I want you to rub your hands together and you'll be healed. He didn't tell him that. 
didn't say take the left hand and wash the right hand. He didn't say that. He asked him to do something it was impossible for him to do. We serve a God of impossibilities. I like that preaching. The very thing he could not do, God asked him to do it. What was the root of this man's problem? His arm, his hand. That was the problem right here. His problem was not his left hand. God, or Jesus Christ, went right to the root of the problem. And that's where we don't want him to go. If we're having marriage problems, if we're having any other relationship problems, maybe it's a spirit of unforgiveness. Whatever it might be, God, oh, we want to go to the psychiatrist. We want to go be counseled. We want to go to a seminar. We want to go, you know, get CDs of of whoever and read them. And we want to listen to some singing. God says, I'm going to get to the very problem. And he got right to the source of the problem. It was his hand. And sometimes we don't want to go there. I wrote here, for many, the theme song of God's children is, I shall not be moved. You remember singing that song? I shall not be moved. God, you're not going to move me. I'm not going to stand up. I'm not going to stand forth. And certainly, I'm not going to stretch forth my hand. Because I can't. But you can. God moved me. Help me to move myself. I'll make a decision today. I'm going to move myself. Look at what it says. When God speaks, power is released. The man's hand was completely restored. God will heal you if you believe him. Exercise faith miraculously. He will make you whole. I love that. He will make you whole. The man's hand was completely restored. The solution is simply to obey the command of Christ. And as you do, he'll meet you at that point and give you power to carry it out. You have a choice today. Listen at me. I hope you're awake. I hope you're, you have a choice today. Stand up, stand forth, and stretch forth. It's your choice. Whatever the problem, whatever the struggle, God is saying, stretch forth. What is your withered hand? Listen, a sense of inferiority that keeps you timid. A painful past that freezes your vision of the future. I love these questions. Negative words implanted in your mind that crush your self-esteem. I remember things that were said to me years ago that I still struggled with. Is it academic limitations or the lack of time management? He's here. Let me say it again. Jesus Christ is here. And he's here asking you to stand up, stand forth, and stretch out your hand. That hand of faith, that hand says, I'm going to believe God 
for the impossibilities. I'm going to trust God. Come, Sister Judy, if you will. Merv Roselle told the story of a majestic organ that was built many years ago in Freiburg, Germany. The assembling of that great instrument was a long, painstaking process involving great care and expense. And it was acknowledged to be the choice instrument of that day and time. There was no organ anywhere that could equal it. It was housed in a chapel and guarded scrupulously by the custodian. One day a stranger appeared at the chapel and asked the custodian if he might play that marvelous Freiburg organ. The custodian said, oh no. It is out of the question. Only the most accomplished musicians are allowed to even touch this valuable instrument. The stranger pled earnestly. He said he had come a great distance to see that wonderful organ about which he had heard so much and would be so grateful if he could play it even for just a few moments. Touched by the stranger's obvious heartfelt sincerity, the custodian reluctantly said, all right, but only for a few moments. And don't tell anyone that I allowed you to play it lest I lose my position. He handed the key to the stranger who unlocked the organ, sat down on the bench, and with a careful, delicate touch, began to play. As Merv Roselle described it, suddenly the organ sang like a bird released after long confinement. He said that the stranger's hands moved with skill and ease up and down those ivory and black manuals, weaving a powerful melody, more beautiful than anything the custodian had ever heard. It was, said Roselle, like musically painting the sunsets of the season. The custodian was totally entranced. In all of his life, he had never heard such marvelous music. When the stranger had finished and had returned the organ key to him, the old custodian, deeply moved, asked the stranger, Who are you? The stranger said, My name is Mendelssohn. Felix Mendelssohn a great composer, organist, and conductor. He was recognized as a musical prodigy. As Mendelssohn walked away from the chapel, the custodian stood there with tears rolling down his face and said to himself, just think, the master was here, and I almost didn't give him the keys. The master's here today. Will you take your keys and say, Lord, this is the keys or these are the keys to my heart, my will, my way. I give you the keys to my life. I don't want to keep the keys from the master. You may think I know how to handle it. I know what to do. I know what to say. I know how to fix my family. I know how to go to the doctor and work out the physical problems I have in my life. I know how to borrow money from the bank and 
get me back on my feet financially. I'll work real hard on my attitude and my unforgiving spirit. I'll strive to, I'll strive to get rid of the jealousy, the porn in my life that I've allowed the enemy to grab, grasp hold of me with. I'll get rid of those drugs myself and that alcohol myself. I can handle it, Lord. It'd be a whole lot better to take those keys because he's the master. Give it to him. Hand it over. Let him work it out. Take those keys today. All he's asking you to do is to stand up, step forward, and reach out your hand of faith. Say, Lord, I'm desperate. Lord, I need you. I've tried over and over and over, but I need you. All he's asking us to do is, I surrender all, Lord, to you. Play that little song, Judy. I surrender. I surrender all. I surrender To thee, my precious Savior, I Many years ago, my wife and I attended a conference in Baltimore, Maryland. One of our guest speakers was from New York City. He pastored a large church, the biggest portion of that church, and there were 10,000 people. The biggest portion of that congregation was, of his congregation was youth. He sacrificed Wilson. Wilson was his name. Pastor Wilson. He'd gone to that church and sacrificed everything he had. He'd given of his strength and energy. He went to the streets of New York and he didn't wait on everybody else to go visiting, although he had many. He had thousands of people ministering on the streets. But he himself, every Saturday, pastor, thousands of people would drive the bus. He was shot. He was stabbed. He was ridiculed. He was put down. His own wife left him. And I remember he's coming up to speak. And we sung that song in that service before he came up. And ever since then, I've sung that song with faith. Because I'm not too sure I've surrendered all to the Lord. And he had to say it. He said, folks... You stand here in this beautiful auditorium. It was a hotel. It's air-conditioned. It's carpeted. The music's beautiful. And you sing, I surrender all. Have you really surrendered all? 
So ever since that day, I sing that song with faith. I'm not too sure I have, but I want to.